Hello, and welcome to Episode 7 of the Specialty Lens Success Podcast. I am Ted Newell, your host. Thank you for spending time with us today. We will make it worth your while. Today, we are going to San Antonio, Texas, where our guest recently celebrated her 10th year of practice ownership. We extend a hearty congratulations to Dr. Melanie Fergozo, OD, FAAO, FSLS, Diplomate, CCLRT, and Director of the Contact Lens Institute at Alamo Eye Care and her team. With her help, we are going to explore how she achieved 600% growth, grew from 4 to 14 teammates, added two satellite locations, all while her practice was surrounded by Walmart, Costco, Sam's Club, VisionWorks, LensCrafters, and iMart Express. Her success is due to a number of factors, including specialization, a very strong referral network, and teamwork. We will go into a lot of detail about these areas, and if you listen carefully, you will hear her speak of some seemingly little things that make a big difference. A lot of it has to do with strong leadership. In the words of best-selling business author Jim Collins, Dr. Fergozo is a clock builder and not a time teller. This podcast is produced by the fine folks at Eaglet Eye. If you think this podcast has value and you want to share it with a colleague, simply use the share link on your podcast player of choice. Check out the show notes for a link to Dr. Fergozo's website, and you will also find links to Eaglet Eye where you can learn more about the iSurface Profiler and schedule a virtual demonstration. It's time to meet up with Dr. Fergozo to learn about how she built her practice and steered her team to success. Dr. Fergozo, welcome to the Specialty Lens Success Podcast. Thanks so much for spending time with us today. Well, thank you for having me. Oh, it's a, it's a pleasure. And, um, you know, from the previous conversations we've had, uh, we've got a lot of very interesting stuff to go through that I think the listeners will learn a lot today. So first of all, just for those people that don't know very much about you or haven't heard you speak or seen one of your introductions at a conference or whatever, uh, just tell us um, a, a little bit about yourself and your practice. Sure. So I am a private practice owner in San Antonio, Texas. I am very proud to say that this December will be 10 years of me owning Alamo Eye Care. Um, so I actually bought this practice from a retiring individual. Um, it was much smaller and it had, it was a comprehensive care practice and he really liked glaucoma. So he had a fair amount of uh, glaucoma patients but when I bought the practice, it had a very minimal, very small amount of contact lens patients. And, and so I brought my love for medical contact lenses and anterior seg uh, to the practice. And really now our practice is, that's 80% of our, of our revenue and, and patient base. Uh, before my uh, ownership of Alamo Eye Care, I was... Um, fortunate enough to be given the opportunity to do a residency in cornea and contact lens at the University of Houston. And then afterwards, I spent two years in a hospital setting um, at the University of Iowa Hospitals and Clinics in the Department of Ophthalmology, um, where I think um, I picked up what I call um, advanced contact uh, lens design for irregular corneas and, and pediatrics. And so I, I brought all of this, this, this specialization and this love for contact lens and cornea into my, my private practice. And I had worked before going into my residency. I graduated and I went uh, straight into practice and I was in a corporate setting for um, three years before going back and doing my residency. So I understood that when I was going to go into private practice, or I thought I understood when I was going to go into private practice that 
if I got to see, you know, an irregular cornea or do a specialty contact lens, if I got, you know, one or two patients a month, um, that was considered, you know, good, um, high volume, because I never saw these patients when I first started. But now, um, in my day to day, um, I, I now am lucky enough, I saw, for instance, this Friday, uh, today, I worked uh, from 9am to 12pm. And I don't think I saw one comprehensive routine eye evaluation. It was completely medical contact lenses. And I saw 11 patients this morning. Um, wow. so is that once you, if you really, um, care about something, love something, your patients and the community of healthcare providers know this, understand this, and they refer patients to you, um, because they trust you. And so I think if you, um, have a passion um, and you want to, you want this to be your practice. There's so many people who, who need your help. So that's um, me in a nutshell of professionally. <laughs> okay. So. And for those of the listeners that don't know, the University of Iowa is a top-notch ophthalmic and optometric institution, highly regarded for research and a lot of uh, other things. So a uh, great place to go do residency, uh, really super place. And one th- one when we were talking the other day, um, I asked you, you know, if the time you spent prior to your residency, those three years that you spent um, working, did that, you know, in some ways you've got a contract and maybe you're thinking, gee, there's other things I'd like to do than do this, but it's a contract, it's a job. But what did it contribute to what you're doing now? the way that I really feel like it contributed is, is that when I was in a corporate care setting it made it very difficult to deliver care the way that I wanted to, because of restraints and time, um, and then, and then resources. Um, I've had, a, I did see mostly comprehensive patients, but I did see disease patients and I had to refer them out. Um, and, and, and I knew that I, I could provide care. I just didn't have the time, but the patients that I were, I was able to provide care to were my contact lens patients. Those are the patients that kept on coming back, needed, needed my care. I was able to manage their anterior segment conditions, inflammations that would be concurrent with the contact lenses or sometimes would come from the environment. And so that's when I made the decision. I knew within the first year that I wanted to go back and specialize um, because I wanted to take more time with my patients and really understand what I was doing. But the patients I held on most to were my contact lens patients. So that's when I decided that I wanted to do a cornea and contact lens residency. Awesome. So that was, that's actually significant. I mean, it really helped motivate you to take the direction that you did, which is which is pretty cool. Most people know about the the letters that come after your doctor of optometry title after your name. They they know what FAAO means. Most people that are listening to this know what FSLS means. But one thing listeners may not know a lot about is something that's really unique to you. And that is the diplomate of in the cornea contact lens and refractive section of the AAO. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Sure. So within the American Academy of Optometry is that there are sections um, and to be a section um, it, it's an established group of optometrists who are specialized and have a common interest. And so there is a process where you could be a member and have be in the in this group, but there is what we call a diplomate. And a diplomate is an is is an expert within within the group. Um, so there are several groups in the American Academy of Optometry. The cornea contact lens and refractive technology section is the largest, oldest section in the academy. Um, there is also a low vision section, a binocular vision section. There is now a newer um, anterior seg section, glaucoma section, and then comprehensive care section. And so you can be a member of, of these sections, but you can be what we call a diplomate. And this is actually a very rigorous process 
um, and they allow you a timeline between uh, three to five years to complete. And in our section, in order to become a diplomate, you have to pass um, an oral examination, a, a practical in-person examination, and then a, a written examination followed by several uh, case reports that are peer reviewed. So the pay, the people who are diplomates in, in, in the section, generally, if you, you know, you look on PubMed at the most current optometric literature, or if you're reading, you know, our, our professionals, um, mag, mag, you know, magazines of interest is that the people who are writing, you know, and, and contributing, usually these, these, these people are diplomates. And so, this process, the people who are actually grading you on all of these case reports are people who actually wrote the topic matter um, <laughs> of, of what you're writing. So for instance, is that if I'm writing, you know, uh, literature on orthokeratology, the person who's reading the literature probably contributed significantly to to this 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 particular field and they're reading and they're critiquing the paper so it is not as not a cakewalk it's it's very it, it was very challenging and it pushes you to a different level and and you think why would anyone subject themselves to doing that is that it getting my diplomate diplomate um with the academy is was the most challenging academic 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 achievement i did in my career it was harder than getting my doctor in optometry <laughs> but yes yes it it was very it was very challenging but every day i use the knowledge the skill set not only did i learn from writing these case reports the critiques that they gave me it challenged me to think, you know, a certain a certain way or alternative ways for my patients. Right? Is that there's just not one answer. There's different ways to approach, you know, a, a problem that a patient has, and just taking a look at it from several different directions. And so that's really what the the diplomate process taught me to do is to be a better clinician, to push myself constantly in clinic. And, and I really do think that this is actually what has helped me build my practice is that when I go and talk to my referring doctors and other colleagues is that I understand that I, they understand that I truly care about, you know, helping these patients. And it's something that I, I really love. I'm, I'm, a, they, my, one of my highest referring doctors, he's a corneal, corneal doctor here in San Antonio. He goes, Melanie, you are a contact lens nerd. You're a nerd, aren't you? And I go, yes. <laughs> so, so they, they know, um, because of, of, of the way that I provide care, but I think it's because becoming a diplomate has, um, allowed me to think at least, uh, I think, think, think differently, um, at least for me, um, which provides better care to, to, to my patients. Mm -hmm. And even though you say that that's the largest um, uh, specialty group within the AAO, tell us how many members or how many people are diplomates in this particular section, approximately I, how many? I think it was 164. Mm -hmm. so, <laughs> so there, there's not well, that many. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So a large group, but really in, in perspective, when you consider all the people that are uh, working with contact lenses, it is, it's a very small group of, of specialists. So anyway, that's, that's really impressive. And it goes back to the point that you made a little while ago that when you really focus on something, you're really motivated on going all in and, and, um, you know, being the best at what you can do, which is, uh, which is interesting and it's impressive. So uh, congratulations on that. Yes. So you, you, you come into San Antonio, you're taking over this practice and this practice, from what I gather in our previous conversation, this practice wasn't in the greatest shape uh, when you took over. Would you would you have called it a turnaround uh, situation? Yes, um, absolutely. Uh, the the doctor usually there's a small transition because the doctor wants to make sure that um, they are handing over their patient base to the next doctor and they stay for a while, they train, they try to introduce. Um, so as soon as I bought the practice, the, that doctor was only there 
for about four months. And he goes, Melanie, you're doing great. I'm going to leave now. And so, (laughs) so there was very little um, transition. Um, A lot of the patient base, you know, ended up leaving. I think I, I don't even know. It was a complete turnover. I may have maybe like 5% of his patients um, is that they slowly, they slowly, they slowly left. Um, But I, you know, I don't know whether it was because of me as a provider or whether, there was just a gravitas um, towards that is that they say that your, your practice tends to attract, you know, what, whatever is the doctor is interested in and also the demographic as well is that um, he was close to retirement. So a lot of the patients, I just think that they wanted to, to retire with him. I don't know. <laughs> we lost a lot. We lost, a we we lost almost their whole entire patient base. And I think, at the time, the practice was very small. And when I did get contact lens patients, as you know, these 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 specialty contact lens patients can take a whole lot of time. Mm-hmm. And so I think with the resources that I had at the time, um, you know, I was spending two hours with one patient, I'd maybe switch over to, you know, one of the, the, the previous doctor's patients and they weren't used to waiting, you know, 30 minutes or 40 minutes before going into me going into an exam lane, it was Dr. Davis was there right away. And so I think that they just weren't used to the flow of my practice, but the flow lended itself to slowly turning itself into a medical contact lens practice. It's really interesting is that I do see comprehensive care, but they are not, I mean, next next to our practice within walking distance. Um, I am in a commercial um, strip mall, but within um, in the adjacent strip mall, we have um, a Vision Works, which is a corporate opti- uh, a corporate optical with an optometrist next to it. We have a Lens Crafters um, across the freeway. We have a Costco, a Sam's Club, um, and then uh, iMart Express and a Walmart. All of them have ha- have um, you know eye care providers there, and I have a couple behind us, so we're in a very highly saturated area, but they still choose to come to our practice. Um, And and the reason why, and I know that they know that there's other optometrists around is that because I think that they're very self, they're they're self-selecting, even though they know that they, um, it it, it seems to be, you know, a a routine, comprehensive, you know, uh, regular, you know, contact lens patient is that they also, it's like, you know, my doctor is just not believing me when I can't see through my multifocal contact lenses. When I really take a look and I do, you know, a thorough assessment, they end up having, you know, autoimmune dry eye. And then we test them, you know, for, um, we, we, we test them and they end up having, they end up having Sjogren's syndrome. And then, so then there's an opportunity to go ahead and treat that medically. And then some of them, it's just, they can't even really wear a soft lens is that they're better in medical scleral, scleral lenses or scleral cover shells. So an opportunity to bring them into a medical contact lens mm-hmm. is that they all select because no, the other providers aren't, aren't listening to them. It's like, I, you know, I want to wear contact lenses. I'm highly motivated. My doctor says everything is fine, but I'm telling you I'm not okay. And so they end up being selecting for a practice or they'll be family members of um, my comprehensive care practice will be family members of a specialty lens patient. Um, So they're never just you know, I don't get a lot of like, let's just walk in and, and get an eye exam is that they're definitely self-selecting and they're, they're okay with waiting is that, you know, ideally I want to get to every patient as quickly as possible. Um, but, you know, my patients sometimes depending on how fast, you know, or, or, or not know how fast, but how difficult they are is I have to spend more or less time. Um, as you know, Ted, which is why I'm running a little bit late because <laughs> <laughs> I okay. think I'm going to be running on schedule and I'm not. The patients are willing, you know, willing to wait, but, you know, we've, we've built the practice to be able to accommodate these patients. And my, my staff, my staff is trained to take care of these patients, but sometimes we do, do run behind, but basically is that in the short amount of time that I've owned this practice for 10 years is that we, we have grown um, 600% from where doctor, the last doctor had the practice. Um, so we were growing leaps and bounds. And um, I was, I was telling you, Ted, before we jumped onto the podcast is that, you know, how are we doing? It's like, I'm, I'm doing great. It's just, I, I seem, you know, like I'm frazzled because it's like all of a sudden today I grew and I had to figure out how to approach clinic differently. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. And just just so just so listeners understand it a little bit, you started out solo and 10 years later, how many people are working with you in the practice? So when I first got the practice, I it was me and uh Janie, who's still with me, she's been with the with the whole entire Alamo eye care for mm-hmm. 30 years. So I retained her. And then I had another front desk person and an optician. So that is four, four people. And so now I have 14. Now we just hired two more. And then I have uh, one full-time associate doctor, one part-time associate doctor. And I have now two satellite locations, another uh, one here in San Antonio, a little bit down south, um, and then another satellite location in Austin, Texas, which is in a, a city fairly close by, about sixty-six miles away from here. So it's the state capital of of Texas. Mm-hmm. Okay, so there's, there's all a result of six hundred percent growth. Uh, that's really terrific. And another thing I'd like the listeners to know is you had an interesting. I, I could either say physical challenge or an interesting half assistant with you when you were just starting out building your practice. Yes. Yeah. So one of my patients today asked me, um, he was a new referral um, from the military base. How long have you been here? And I go, you know, I'm proud to say in December of this year, it's going to be 10 years. And the reason why I can remember that is because my daughter is going to be t- turning 10 years. When I entered this practice, I was 17 um, weeks pregnant mm-hmm. um, with my daughter. And then when we were looking at entertaining to to buy the practice and visiting, um, you know, is that I was, I, I was five, I was five weeks pregnant with, with Teal and, and I was, I made the decision to go into, to, um, to practice and buy a practice. So, uh, you, you can, you can definitely do it. I was actually talking to another doctor who opened a practice while she was pregnant. And, um, we actually think it's kind of an ideal time. Um, because when you first open a practice is that you're not as busy. So you have time, you know, you have, uh, two patients, you know, six patients, so there's there's a there's a lot of time to be able some in between time where you can build your practice, but then also spend time, you know, with with your with your 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 child. Um, so Teal was actually in the practice until she started to need attention, which was four months old. Mm. Uh, Janie, interestingly, um, she would take care of Teal. I had two exam lanes at the time. Now we actually have a total of eight exam lanes, but I had two in my old practice and I was seeing patients out of exam lane two and then Teal would be in lane two or sometimes if we were you know, busy is that we'd put her in the, the visual field room, which was basically like a closet and her back in play. <laughs> so I could still remember like closing the door and like she was fine, you know, when they're that little is that they're still, you know, entertained by everything. So she was right. she was really I was really fortunate to, to have like a really easygoing baby. I know that maybe it's not the same way. Every child is in, is different, but the practice grew the, the same way that my 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 daughter grows. My daughter is healthy. She's thriving. Um, and so is our practice. So they are uh, it's, 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 it's really interesting to, to look at that, that perspective, having a, a thriving, you know, family um, home life, and then also a professional life as well. Absolutely. Well, you know, it's uh, another interesting thing here is we talked about your real commitment to knowledge. So in, in terms of, you know, learning in the practice setting, going and doing your residency, coming back and opening your own business. So now you open up your business, you're bleeding some patients, but you don't just sit around and it's not like you open a practice and they will come, right? Uh, Tell us a little bit about, because this is, this is, you know, part of the purpose of the podcast is to help people understand, well, how did, how did she do it? How did she, was she so successful? So what, tell me, tell, well, share what you did that you shared with me, uh, some of the things you did to start building your practice. I went door to door. (laughs) There you go. Any patients. And so it's like, how are are they supposed to know you're there? 
<laughs> right. Unless you actually let them know. You know, I do have a, a, a website, um, but how the, the website, from what I understand, you know, is that it's, it's difficult to be searchable unless you have patients who are searching the website and then also, you know, people who, who look who look you up. And so I had to get patients in the door and I um, wanted cornea and contact lens patients. So I thought, you know, I'm going to just, just go. I used to work really, really closely when I was in the hospital with corneal specialists and then also pediatrics. That was my, um, the pediatric ophthalmologist and the corneal, um, the corneal ophthalmologist were the, the, the doctors that I personally worked closely with in the clinic. So that was who I went to go visit first. And it was really just awkward because I was 23 weeks pregnant at the time when I was, when I was visiting these doctors and, you know, asking for, for patients. Um, and so, you know, I didn't know how to approach them and it was, it was quite awkward at first, um, to, to, to approach a doctor and they almost, it was, it was weird because they'd never been approached before. Like, what is, this is unusual. No one, no one visits me except for, except for drug reps. It's like, what, what, they were almost curious why I was there. And so I told them, you know, I, I, I presented myself. I told them that I did study, you know, at, in a university setting and then also a hospital setting and that, you know, if they had any patients that they felt like could, could benefit, um, is to, to please, you know, refer here, um, instead of referring at the time, a lot of the patients are being referred to Dallas, um, or Houston, which have major medical centers. So they were being referred, you know, to out of the city. And I go, you know, think about it. So I, I have hospital experience before, you know, sending them to, you know, Baylor and Houston or UT Dallas. It's like, let's just see if I can take care of them. And so they they started to try me slowly. And then after that, once they saw that they were their patients are being well taken care of, as they started to refer more and more. Um, and so the same with pediatrics is that I went, I just went over there. So a, a lot of times it's like, well, let me call and make an appointment. It's it's hard sometimes because they're busy too, seeing a lot of patients. I I had the time. I only had one patient, three patients that day. I had like a three hour gap is that I would just drive to our medical center and I just sit in the office. They're like, well, you know, Dr. Lehman's busy right now. It's like, I'll just sit. And so I would just sit there and I'd sit like in the waiting room sometimes for like 45 minutes to an hour. Um, and so they would, they, they came and talked to me and some of them were like, Hey, it's lunchtime. You want to go eat lunch? You know, as I really got to, got to know these doctors. And so they, they started to trust me and refer. And then it was just kind of this positive feedback loop. And then these doctors of course were referred from these patients uh, were referred from other doctors, other eye care providers, um, either ophthalmologists or optometrists. So what I would do is also when I was sending back the notes, not only would I send to the main referring doctor, but I'd send back to all of their other associated eye doctors. And so that's how I had also um, indirect, you know, advertising was making sure their notes went to their other eye care providers too, because typically, as you know, if you take care of a lot of contact lens and cornea patients, as you can never have one thing wrong with the eye is that you have keratoconus, but you also have glaucoma, you know, complicated with, you know, with a retina concern is that often they had three or four, you know, doctors, eye doctors. And so I would attach all of those um, to my, to my notes and I'd send them to all four doctors. And soon it just became like, oh, the advertising in that respect that they would just see my name and then they would just start to refer. Um, so it just became this large, I don't know, it was like a positive feedback. All of a sudden it's just, we grew really um, quickly. Another thing that I did um, was that a lot of the professional groups, including ours, the American Academy of Optometry and the Fellow of the Sclerolens Education Society, is that these people are searchable. If you look in doctors within my zip code or doctors within 50 miles away, you'll get a list. So I, I did this with ophthalmology, rheumatology, 
Um, and, and I want, and I'm, I did a mailer, um, within, I, I stuck in my zip code uh, within a hundred miles. And then I went ahead and I did a mailer and I've gotten, I've gotten patients that way too. And, and learned of other doctors. I'm like, Oh, I didn't even know that doctor existed. That's not that far away. I should go ha I should go visit them. <laughs> you know? mm -hmm, right. I don't know. I, I really personally, I respond well to being, um, face to face, you know, everyone responds a little bit, a little bit differently. Someone likes, likes to be communicated through email. Some people like to be communicated through text. I personally like face to face and it's worked really well, um, for my, for my practice. And I think we get, I mean, I don't that, that may be better questions, um, for my, um, my business manager who know who more manages are online, um, you know, uh, referrals, but the majority of, of my referrals comes from, uh, face-to-face -face encounters with, with doctors and building, building relationships and maintaining those relationships is that I still, even though I don't have time right now to go visit my, my doctors that refer my front desk manager keeps up those, um, those relationships and she visits them my associate doctor, when he slowed today, he was slow. He only had two patients on his schedule. And so I go, Anthony, go, go and meet, you know, some doctors. And he did. It's always good to tune out, tune out a little bit, but you know, if, if, if you have more slow time, go, go and meet people. Cause you never know what you're, you're going to learn and what, you know, you, you can, you can share with them and what they can share with you. Absolutely. No, I think that's really terrific. The knocking on doors and, and then, um, but I want you to talk a little bit more about this transition because, as you said, you got busy, and you just mentioned that you uh, dele have delegated this to your office manager. How did you go through that delegation process? Because um, she also is out knocking on doors or following up and uh, physically visiting people. So, how did you do that transition? Oh gosh, I don't even know at what point it 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 just slowly started to happen. I have to think about this methodically, Ted, is that we got larger and larger and then I trained someone to do it. Mm -hmm. um, and then they started to be, you know, a point of contact with the patients. At the time it was Daniela, now I have Amber, and they started to be a point of contact. And then I and then it happened over and over again with more and more patients. And at that point, it was just then they were just managing any phone calls from from doctors' offices. And so it just became slowly this one person that was doing it. And then they happened to be working at the front desk at that time that the person that I delegated to happened to be a front desk person. Mm -hmm. And so they just became the front desk manager. And then the front desk manager, then as we got bigger head, I was able to hire other staff members for her to manage and her to delegate things while she was able to step away and, and, and get and keep those relationships and get more referrals. I mean, it just grew slowly as at first it was, I was doing it myself. It's like, okay, I can't do it by myself. I'm going to ask a staff member to help me and we're going to get, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to tag team this. And it's like, all of a sudden I'm getting busier. It's like, I'm the bottleneck for patients. I'm the only one who can see patients. And so now I'm going to have you do this. And now it's like, okay, this is too much. I need to hire more people to do the things that you were doing because you can't do this by yourself. And so, um, it just kind of grew and grew and it's the same, you know, with, with all of the things that have morphed in our practice. And so with our technician staff, we have a unique setup too, that allows me, even though, you know, these contact lens patients, these medical contact lens patients take a long time is that I'm booked every 20 minutes because of delegation. Um, you know, I think at school, our training as optometrists and students just in general, it's like learn how to do everything yourself. And then you kind of maintain that when you're a new practitioner. It's like you want to do everything yourself, but then if you want to grow, you have to learn how to delegate, which at first I think is challenging and hard because especially if you're you're a private practice person, you're buying a private practice, it's like, oh my gosh, I'm a control freak. But then that's the only way to grow. Um, so uh 
I just, it just happened because of the growth is that there's no way I could grow unless I had people helping me is that, and supporting me. Did you, did you take any courses or did you learn from mentors or anything like that on the whole subject of delegation? Yes. What really opened up my eyes was actually working at the hospital. Okay. Um, so at the hospital, my mentor um, had techs that uh, refracted, did everything, uh, did, you know, pressures, the complete workup. And she would walk in for, for instance, if it was just a, if it was a comprehensive patient, mm-hmm. she would walk in and the patient would be dilated already. And if they were a very straightforward contact lens evaluation, the patient would be fitted. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this is amazing. You know, <laughs> no, I could just go in and do the part, the doctoring part, you know, really assess their anterior seg, their retina, and then make prescriptions and recommendations to maximize, you know, their care. I can spend more time on this because my technicians, her technicians had took the time to do, you know, all the things that needed to be done, but could be easily delegated. And I saw the power in that. Um, Once I had the, when we grew big enough, I started to teach my technicians how to refract and, and it's, we hold on to refraction and refraction is really important. I still kind of look and I see if everything makes sense mathematically and then also historically, whether I should be, whether that makes sense. I agree with their prescription, um, but you know, it's, it's, it's already done. And then I can concentrate on um, taking care of the patient. So all of my technicians, they, they know how to refract, um, take a good case history. They also know how to do tonometry um, with a Goldman applination tonometer. They know how to insert and remove all specialty contact lenses. I even have specialized um, technicians. I have one who's really good at pediatrics. She can even insert a scleral lens uh, in, a, in a pediatric patient better than I can. I had a patient we fit a scleral lens on. She's she's eight months old and she had been non-compliant with scleral lens where her parents have. Um, and I, and I could tell, I was like, I'm having a hard time. This baby's not used to having someone manipulate their eyes. You can just tell. And Azalea just went in and plopped that lens in because she's the one who does all of the insertion and removal teaches on all my peds. Um, and so, and then I have another technician who really likes, um, you know, doing, um, dry iris and then aesthetics. And so she does all of the, um, heated, you know, um, the, 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 the heated treatments. And then we've even gotten into, you know, potentially um, nerve stimulation using some of the heated instruments to help patients with dry eye. And so she's doing all of that. So we've just gotten like really, really, really specialized, um, but I'm okay with delegating. I, I talked to the last doctor who owned this practice, who owned this practice is like, what do you think about this? Because I came from an hospital setting where everything was delegated. And I'm like, why don't you teach your, your technicians to, you know, refract or do get and like help you so you can build, you know, cause I just, I was just curious. It's like, why isn't everyone doing this? This is amazing. And she, and, and he said, it's like, well, if you teach them, then they're going to just leave, you know, and they're going to go and, you know, leave to a practice that's going to be able to, you know, invest in them more, pay them more is what he meant. And, and that I have not found that the case in my, in my practice. Yes. You know, is that I am able to um, invest in my, my, my staff more. I do pay them more, but that has been slowly a lot of, some of my staff members have been with me for seven years. And so I wasn't able to pay them that much on the get-go, but what they saw was that I valued them and I was willing to teach them. And, and it wasn't more like, you know, just like you would do this. This is what you're supposed, supposed to do. It was more, Hey, look, we're learning together and let's, you know, build the practice together. And, and there's, so, you know, people again, are communicate differently, but are motivated differently is that I think I've self-selected for staff members who are like me, who, who actually are complete nerds and like learning. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so they work hard, um, but they, I, they all really like their jobs. They like 
how they're helping. They, they And I take them to conferences. I'm going to Vision Expo Expo West um, and in three weeks in Las Vegas. And I'm taking Layla with me. And we're going to go ahead and try to delve into dry eye aesthetics a little bit more. And I'm taking her and she really appreciates that. I, I delegate because I need, I need them to grow, but they, they, they also love learning. Um, so it's just, um, it's, it's just been really, really positive is that once you treat your staff members the way you'd want to be treated. And so I think that that's why we've grown so much. I don't know, Ted, it's, I don't know how we, we just, I just love what I do. And I think just, it's just, it's been a positive feedback loop. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, and in fact, I was looking at the notes here that I have from the conversations that we had before, and that's one of the things you talked about was taking, you always take a staff member to a meeting. And I don't know if it's always the same staff member, but that's cool. something for a staff member to look forward to. You know, yes. that's, some, that's yeah. a reward and it's a reward and it's a learning opportunity. But another thing you did was, uh, I don't know if it's all your staff members, but I, I guess it's a couple of them is you get them certified. So tell me a little bit more about that. Yes, yes, yes. So trying to have them practice at the highest scope because I practice at the highest scope. So they mm -hmm. should be able to practice at uh, the highest scope. So I'm really proud to say is that my clinical manager just got her NCLE. So what that stands for is National Contact Lens Examiner's Certification. Um, so it, it's a, it's much like, um, you know, my, my optician is ABO certified. So American board of opticianry is that you can get a certification for being a contact lens technician. And mm -hmm. so they too have to take a test. They have to study for this and pass a test, um, to get the certification and it has levels. It doesn't stop there is that you can get more involved and get an advanced certification and um, there are, you know, a lot of these meetings, they have these, these certified technicians and they, they have their own meetings too. Um, so it is, it is not just a job, right? Is that I tell, we, we, when we hire people, we tell them that this is, this is a career choice and that um, they, they have the flexibility to be able to, to, to grow and you grow by learning. And so we, uh, we really promote education, you know, and, and if there's any kind of certifications that I find out about to advance my staff members, I am really um, interested for them to get it if they're, if they, if they want it. Um, so this particular staff member wanted to be NCLE, NCLE certified. And so we, we went ahead, we, we paid for the testing. We paid for all the materials she wanted to do. There was a course that was available at Vision Expo East um, this past March, where she did like a, a three-day course, crash course um, on the test. And then afterwards they took the test. And so we we did all of that for her and, and she passed. Um, so, and this will allow her to get, you know, more opportunities. Um, because she's 10 years younger than me. And so, you know, one day I, I hope to retire <laughs> and so she'll still be working. And so this will give her, you know, some credibility, you know, not only with just her experience, but having a certification and so giving, you know, giving her that. And then, and she knows I value her too, you know, um, um, giving, having her, you know, pushing her towards, towards, towards that certification. Mm -hmm. Sure. No, I think that's really, really great. What about the staff support with your technology? Now you told me, uh, or you told all of us, the, me and the listeners about the fact that you do train your technicians to use the different technologies in the practice so you can delegate to them, which technologies are important to you in the practice in terms of helping you diagnose and do your lens fittings and, and so on and so forth. Oh gosh, that is different for every patient. Um, and sometimes I think I know that what technology I'm going to use and I end up using using something something else. Um, so maybe we could go ahead and categorize it um, by patient type. That might mm -hmm. be easier for, 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 for me to think about this. And so for with respect to, let's say, a patient who needs 
a scleral contact lens with respect to delegation, I would say it would be my, um, my ocular coherence um, tomographer, my OCT, um, because if they put a lens on and all of my staff members actually know, again, well, obviously if they know how to use GAT is that they know how to use a slit lamp. So they could usually judge the, um, the vault by looking through the slit lamp. But if there's any questions, they'll do an OCT and they know how to look at the OCT and read, you know, what is an acceptable amount of vault. And if they need to, they can, cha- they, I, they know how to change lenses in order to get the right lens, um, lens, lens on the eye. Um, so I would say with respect to scleral contact lenses, it's going to be my OCT. With respect to custom soft contact lenses, it is going to be my corneal topographer. So because what they know is that they can they can measure the HVID off of my corneal topographer, they know what the keratometry readings are that are important and to put into the calculators and to order, you know, empirical you know, soft um, contact lens, but this also goes for, you know, hybrid lenses is that hybrid lenses are ordered now in a very similar fashion through HVID and then also um, keratometry readings. And then the same with, I guess, orthokeratology um, as well, Mm -hmm. is that the same, the same thing is that we're looking at the same data, data points with, with orthokeratology. And what other lenses am I missing? Corneal, corneal lenses, the same thing is that if the patient has a normal cornea, is that they can definitely just take a look at the keratometry readings. Um, and then also depending on the, the, what, you know, whether the astigmatism, how high it is versus, you know, whether they can, they need a bitoric or versus a corneal, just a spherical GP lens. They know that if it's above two diopters is that they're going to empirically order a bitoric versus we could get away with a sphere fit on, you know, mid K if we're going to go ahead and do, um, you know, a corneal GP lens, if it's less than two diopters, they actually know these things. I'll say fit on mid K. They know exactly what I'm talking about. So is that I, I have some pretty sharp um, technicians, which I'm, I'm really proud of. So. Sure. Sure. And to go back to marketing, because really a lot of your marketing has been built on relationships, you know, I'm sure, uh, which then a good relationship enhances word of mouth, which is great marketing. So you started it out doing it, then you you transitioned to your clinical manager who is doing a lot of your uh, relationship work now, or the the foundation of it. Do you do any social media? Like you've got the website, which you mentioned before. Um, Do you do any like Instagram or TikTok or anything like that? I really should. I know that's that's how uh, most people are starting to communicate now. Um, and I have the opportunity to, it's just in my day-to-day, it's not what I've given priority to, but I should. <laughs> well, I mean, there's you can argue about that because most companies that are trying to market something tend to focus on a market channel and really dominate one particular channel. And really what you've done is you've dominated the relationship and the referral channel and Mm -hmm. you've really sat down hard on it and you're going to hold on to it. And, you know, if you continue to do the things you've done, you continue to be successful. So, you know, the fact that you don't, you know, on Facebook all the time or Instagram or whatever, it may not make a difference. So there'll be other practices that do it totally differently and they'll, they'll go that social media route. So, um, but word of mouth, you can hardly beat that. And, um, you know, that's based on relationships. So with not only your patients, but the referring people and those referring doctors, they're not looking at Instagram. They're too busy, you know, they're not looking, they're not looking at Facebook. Uh, they're too busy. Unless, unless they have a a daughter or something like I do and you're looking, what are the, your kids up to? Right. (laughs) Right. But, um, so that, no, that's good. I just wanted to sort of emphasize that and make that point because practices are different and they succeed for different reasons. And, and you've been very successful. And a couple other things, you we talked about meetings and planning and things that you do in your office. Can you tell me a little bit about that? 
Sure. So we have office meeting every morning, and this is to make sure also the staff is is timely and that everyone is there. But we talk about all of the patients that are on the schedule. Um, and we talk, I'm, I'm talking a little bit to everybody. We, go, we, we review the, review the patients, review how they're going to um, get care, you know, how they're, whether it's medical insurance, vision insurance, out of pocket, you know, whether there's something, if it's a dispense, whether there's a very particular way they need to be dispensed. Um, so I'm talking to my front desk, who's going to be checking patients in, making sure that they're able to get, you know, the 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 authorization and the investments to get treatments. I'm I'm talking to my tech staff and how they need to approach the patient if they're a pediatric patient, and then also my contact lens. I have a contact lens technician who does insertion and removal teach, whether they need to make sure that they clear a special space or whether a certain staff member needs to work with the, with the patient because they're, you know, dry eye aesthetics patient or a pediatric patient, they already know, okay, that means this technician is going to work with them or, Hey, we need to make sure is that this patient has a really, has had a really, really hard time, you know, with, with their presbyopic lenses is that maybe we should consider doing an aberometry and seeing what else is being left over on the table. You know, they already know, you know, there's, I'm, I'm talking to everybody. And so it helps, you know, plan the day um, and run smoother. But besides daily staff, staff meetings, we also do monthly staff meetings um, where we talk about, you know, what has been happening in the practice um, with growth. Um, so we all know how we're doing growth wise. You know, is there is there anything that's new that we need to know about? A lot of times this is sponsored by, you know, a um and um, industry is that a lot of times, you know, industry partners will want to come and say, you know what, Dr. Vergoza, I want to talk to you about this new contact lens or like this new medication, you know, let me sit down and have lunch with you. And I go, you know, it's really hard for me because um, sometimes I often work during lunch, but once a month we have, you know, a staff meeting and you can reach all of my staff um, and maybe we can delegate the first 20 minutes of staff meeting if you provide lunch for us. Um, and so we, um, we, we, that, that's how we usually, um, learn something during our staff meeting. And then we get to up to date on, you know, things that we've learned from patients, um, things that we could do better and then how we're doing, how we've done for that month, whether we were up, you know, versus last year versus last month, you know, how we're doing our percentage of, of new patients, um, that, that we're seeing, you know, how the optical optical was doing. And then on, on top of that, we also do monthly um, manager meetings where we meet with the, the our, our billing specialist, the front desk manager, the clinical manager, the business manager, and then um, all of the, the doctors to know, you know, kind of what's happening um, with referrals, what's happening, you know, with how we're getting reimbursed, you know, how the doctors are doing independently, you know, and then how, you know, the, the managers, you know, are seeing where we can, you know, how, where we were doing good. Oh yeah, this is working. We should continue to do this or like, that's not working. We should definitely not try not to do that, or maybe find another solution to help with that concern. So we actually have three, types of meetings, one that happens every day and two of them to constantly make sure that we're all on the same page. And I think this is necessarily necessary for our practice because of, you know, how fast we've grown is that we're constantly, it's like what worked last month isn't going to work the next month because we're hopefully have grown and we need right. to accommodate that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. No, that's really good. And, and thank you for going into detail on that because you and I talked about that on the phone and I, I just wanted the, the audience to hear that because I think it's really important. You're going to Vision Expo West. What other meetings do you recommend people go to? Mm -hmm. So for with respect to contact lenses, I really like the global, um, the, the global symposium, the global contact lens symposium um, that happens yearly. Vision um, by design. Um, mm -hmm. put on by the American Academy of Orthokeratology and myopia control is a very, very uh, good meeting with respect to myopia management. 
I personally like the American Academy of Optometry. This just gives us, it gives me at least all of the really, really up to date uh, information on what's new. Sometimes I don't even know what's new because there's so much literature that's out there. As if I go just, you know, jump into a glaucoma meeting, glaucoma lectures, like, oh, I already know what's new is that they're, they're really the people who lecture there. Are, are, are people who are reading the literature daily in their, in their uh, specialization um, with respect to practice, you know, management and a really good meeting to bring your, your staff to is the American Optometric Association. Um, there is actually a staff track on, you know, things that are good for paraoptometric courses. They even are starting, I think, I believe a paraoptometric certification. So something else that, you know, can help staff for, for training. Um, and so those, those are the meetings. I go to a lot of meetings <laughs> and, I, and I like, I like to, to keep well, well-informed, but I also do a lot of lecturing and, and that's part of me personally, how I learn is that if I lecture and I read it, I, I, I remember it. Um, and then I take that to my patients. We've covered a lot of ground. I'm just looking at my notes here to make sure that we covered most everything. And I think we did any other advice that you have for, uh, somebody that is trying to start their practice or, they just bought a practice. They're trying to get it off the ground. They're thinking about it. Any what what advice do you have? Sure. So I was asked a similar question um, just a week ago. You know, as uh, um, when when you're getting started, you know, it's it's we're so we're wanting to you know just do the right thing right away. But it 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 is you know as you mature clinically and professionally what your interests are, you know, change slowly through time, your personality slowly changes through time. So for me, I actually needed these experiences to go through working through different, you know, settings to understand how I wanted to provide care. So I would say is that if you feel overwhelmed, it's like, oh, what, what route, how do I start? What should I do is that, you know, do at that moment, you know, what's right for you, you, how to provide patient care, how to, you know, manage your staff. And it slowly evolves through time. You don't have to get anxious or mucked up on, you know, how to do it right, right away. As I, I've learned by making, I made lots of mistakes. <laughs> mm, yeah. And so the, the, the big thing is to take it slowly to make sure for me is to, to go ahead and make sure you're providing the highest level of care and to be compassionate more than anything, because patients and staff members can feel that from you is that if you care about providing the highest level of, of care, um, and then also um, making sure that your, your staff is, 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 is taken care of and that you care about them is that they're going to stay. Um, so I don't know, just to go on it. Um, the best way that you possibly can um, and, and forgive yourself for making mistakes because you're going to make them and that's okay. That's how you learn. <laughs> Absolutely. You got to forgive yourself and you have to forgive yes. other, forgive other people too. Oh, yes. um, and, and you have to be willing to go knock on a few doors. Yes. Take chances. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I actually had one doctor ask me why I was there. <laughs> because I they do exactly the same thing that I do. Mm -hmm. And I go, yes, no, no, no. I think that that that's great. But if you know, it's nice to be able to bounce ideas off of each other. And if you have a case where you think, you know, I could help, or if you you, you need an idea, I am here. Um, so all through medicine, you know, optometry has had a really hard time referring to each other, but I have had patients who, you know, they have seen like several retina specialists or several corneal specialists because they just needed, you know, another mind, a fresh, a fresh, you know, fresh set of eyes to look at them, to see them differently and to provide mm -hmm. care. It's, it's okay to refer. You don't, you don't have to know all of the answers because it's all about the patient. Right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Well said. 
Well, thank you so much for the time you've given me today. You know, this is uh, and and the audience and the listeners. This has really been terrific. I I think they've learned a lot. Well, thanks, Ted, for having me. You have to admit that Dr. Fergoza's story is inspiring, and she has a lot of good strategic and tactical advice. Remember, in the introduction, I mentioned little things that could make a big difference. Let's look at just a couple examples. How about her practice of sending follow-up letters to not only the primary referral doctor, but also the doctors that referred to her primary referral doctor? To do this, you will have to add fields for this in your referral form. Also, when she got too busy to make face-to-face calls on referral practices, she successfully delegated this task to a staff member. She had to have the right person in place to do this and had to properly coach this person to the task. The result is that this important element of the successful growth of her practice is maintained. If you provide leadership and direction, you will be surprised at what your staff can do. Pick one thing and implement it today to enhance your practice. Thanks for spending time with Dr. Fergozo and me today. Until next time, 